What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing the 2022 CFL Draft. Canadians selected in the 2022 NFL Draft. The nine rule changes approved by the CFL. John Huffnagel admitting his four-down vote. Oh, my goodness. The CFL Players Association strike vote. And Marshawn Lynch beast mode hanging out with the Toronto Argonauts. But first... 74 players, count them, were picked in the 2022 CFL draft. It wasn't a deep class, but what were the main takeaways from the Canadian talent grab, fellas? I think my main takeaway is I need to stop trying to figure out where everyone's going in this draft. (laughs) That's my main takeaway. Uh, It's time to retire. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to retire from making my mock drafts. Months in advance, those always do really well. People like the first mock and the second mock, but day of the draft. When the smoke screens are up and teams are purposely trying to confuse you and doing doing it quite successfully, I might add, um, it can grow frustrating. Uh, but that aside, I thought the actual draft night uh, was solid. I liked a lot of the picks that were made. I didn't think that anybody fell egregiously down the draft board. I also don't think we got a huge reach in the first two rounds, as we'd seen in previous years. Um, and so all in all, I, I think the teams did well. How about you, JC? Well, we didn't have any major reaches in the first two rounds because Brock Sunderland isn't in, isn't in the league anymore, so he can't Whoa. pick Cole Nelson at number five. But I agree with your segments there, Hodge. There was some surprising picks, some things that weren't uh, projected uh, to land where they where they ended up going. But none of them I hated. I liked Zach Pelahos at number two to the Red Blacks. I like Nathan Cherry at number three to the Lions, which is not something a lot of people expected, but I think is a sneaky good selection. And then with some of the trades that we saw leading up to the draft, obviously the Montreal Alouettes going up to number one, the Elks grabbing uh, the fourth pick and the eighth pick. Those are some solid selections there as well with Tyrell Richards at the t- on the top of the board. Enoch McConzo and Trey Ford going to Edmonton. How did it take us this long for Trey Ford's name to be mentioned? All right. This is the highlight of the draft, guys. Hodge, you got the great stat from the guru, Steve Daniels. The first time Canadian quarterback has been selected in the first round of a CFL draft since 1980. 
My goodness, man. Ford making a bit of history here. And yes, he does have two NFL rookie minicamp invites. So it is somewhat of a gamble. And we have seen guys go down there and earn contracts out of those. So Ford will get in front of the Baltimore Ravens brass and also the New York Giants. So there's an opportunity for him to potentially earn a contract there. But I'm really intrigued to see what happens here if he comes back to Edmonton and is with the Elks this season or even potentially down the road. It'd be great and a much better story for him to get signed to an NFL contract by the Ravens or the Giants. But that pick in and of itself, in my mind, is the headliner of the entire draft because finally we get a quarterback in the first round. People want to talk about how offensive linemen fly off the board in the CFL draft and how that makes it boring. Well, you had just about every position represented highly in this draft, and you had a sexy quarterback to go along with it as well. So nobody should be complaining. Yeah, there were more receivers taken in the first round than offensive linemen. Three pass catchers, two blockers, uh, which is great. And I'll say this too. We've, che- we've seen this trend grow organically over the last three years. We saw Michael O'Connor at a UBC go in the third round two years ago. We saw Nathan Rourke the year after that go in the second round. So those quarterbacks have been creeping up and up. And I'll say this too, when you take into consideration the fact that the ratio is likely to change, at least according to the rumors that are out there, to have mandated three players on both sides of the ball, right? Lots of players stack their Canadians on the offensive side of the ball, largely on the offensive line. Well, if teams suddenly need to all start a minimum of three Canadians defensively, then I think this draft is going to change even more, right? Some of those linebackers, some of those defensive linemen, some of those defensive backs that typically fall to rounds two and three, while teams, you know, historically have scooped up the offensive linemen in round one. I think that trend is also going to change. And I think that's great because because if you look back at old drafts, there's lots of times, even as recently as five, seven, ten years ago, where really good players at those positions go in round two and round three simply because everyone's scared to not get their offensive linemen in round one. So I think the draft is is starting to reflect the talent that is available more so than arbitrarily plugging positional holes. And I think that's a win, not just for for fans, but but for anybody who's not even a CFL fan, just a fan of drafts. More variety, more intrigue in the first round. It's what this event really needs. You mentioned the potential for the ratio to change, Hodge. And I was actually a little bit surprised that that didn't play more a factor into how some of the teams ran their draft board in this draft. Because if you look at rosters across the league, there are not a lot of teams that are prepared for a three, three starter split with the ratio, a lot of teams that need to add defensive talent. And now I think what this indicates is that if that rule comes into place, there will be a, one-year waiting period before it's enacted, but I was expecting a few more teams to grab defensive talent uh, earlier in the draft and and in more volume in order to potentially prepare down the line for that switch. All right. I know you guys want to talk about some of your favorite classes overall in the draft, or if you felt there were some value guys. So circle back to JC first, because this was his idea. Mr. Abbott, who are some of your top, let's say, value picks in the draft? Well, when it comes to value, I think my number one pick in that regard was Zach Herzog, the safety out of Hillsdale <laughs> College. 
He's a tiny dude, but I just love the way he plays. I love his intelligence. I love his athleticism. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders steal him in the seventh round, and the player that I compare him to is Stavros Katzentongas, who has a very similar build, similar athletic pro- profile, and plays with a simil- similar level of intelligence. He was selected by the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the mid-rounds of his draft and goes on to be a starter on that team for the Grey Cup last season. I think Zach Herzog maybe isn't the same caliber of player as Stavros Katzentongas, but I think he can have a similar trajectory and the Riders got a steal in round seven. I've got a written article up on the site right now called the five best value selections from the 2022 CFL draft. So I'd encourage people to go check that out. Uh, I'm not going to address a player. I'm going to address a team. I think actually two teams. Uh, again, I don't think anybody had bad drafts. I think BC did a really good job of addressing the line of scrimmage, which is something they had not done well enough over the last five, 10 years. Um, I liked what Edmonton did in the first round. Um, but the two teams I'm going to, uh, uh, point out here, I think Toronto got the most talent overall, Gregor McKellar, rising offensive lineman, Deontay Knight, Excellent, versatile defensive lineman. Daniel Adebaboye, potential starter at running back. Enoch Penny Larea, one of the best athletes in the draft. I liked what they did. But the other team I'm going to say is the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Now, this team had one pick in the top 36, which is not a lot to make hay from. But the thing people need to remember is that trade they made with Edmonton, I loved. They got Kyle Saxolid, who could be their starting left tackle. They got Grant McDonald, who I see as a future starter at Will or Mike, both under contract for the next two seasons, really good young Canadians. If you add those two players into their draft class, which also included Anthony Federico, who I really like, uh, Jared Beeksma, versatile linebacker from the University of Guelph, who could long snap as well, I think Hamilton did great work because, frankly, I'm not sure there was a player, uh, certainly along the offensive line of Kyle Saxolid's, uh, level in this draft and Grant McDonald is going to be ready to make plays that I don't think any linebacker in this draft is going to be making as a rookie. If you think factor- Trey Ford, the pick that stuck out most to me was John Mechie the third, because I don't <laughs> think there's anyone in the CFL outside of the BC lines. that think Mechie the third is ever going to come up here. It would be a massive bust and Mechie the third just doesn't seem to have that bust quality about him. I get you want to make headlines have something splashy to talk about, but I just don't foresee a situation where Mechie the third ever actually plays any type of CFL football, let alone come across the border to play in Canada. Yeah. I, I think that pick is probably the worst one in the entire draft, just in terms of value. You're not going to see that player. I think the likelihood is less than 10%, probably in the one to 2% range that you ever see him just because of how highly thought of he is in the NFL, the role he's going to take on with the Texans and what he can do. But I want to pound the table a little bit for the lions here because I thought they had the best draft, especially at the top overall in terms of the talent they added. They needed to get more physical. They needed to get longer. They needed to add guys who could contribute on special teams. There were some desperate needs for this team, and I thought they addressed all of them. They get three Saskatchewan Huskies who are all going to be hard hat, lunch pail players for them, and Nathan Cherry at number three, Noah Zare in the second round, and then Riley Pickett later on in the draft. I thought all of those were fantastic selections. 
Josh Archibald, who can contribute on defense as a rotational pass rusher and brings special teams value. And then Adrian Green, the corner from St. Mary's, who's long and physical, a smooth mover. I think he'll fit really well on the Lions special teams unit to start off. And I think he can have uh, a career where he exceeds where he was drafted as well. We should we should move on. We're going to talk about Mechie in this segment as well at the NFL. But I will say, I think you boys are being a little tough on the Lions because if there's ever a draft to take a flyer in round seven, eight on a player, it's this one. And I don't want to sound disrespectful to the players who are otherwise taken in round seven and eight. But frankly, I would rather have a 2% chance at a player of Mechie's caliber than some of the guys who, you know, whether it's testing numbers or whatever, you know, are, are just not going to compete for you at the CFI level. So I didn't think it was a, I mean, maybe a little bit, maybe you take him an eight instead of seven, but I didn't think it was that egregious of a reach. And now you got, and Hey, last I checked, BC also has the rights to chase Claypool. So may, maybe this is just a trend. They want to start. They want, they want all the NFL receivers. We'll never come to Canada. We will never come to Canada. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Three Canadians were selected in the 2022 NFL draft. Receiver John Mechie went in the second round to the Houston Texans. Defensive back Dean Leonard was picked in the seventh round by the Los Angeles Chargers. And versatile defender Jesse Lucetta went in the same round to the Arizona Cardinals. What impact could those players have as rookies down south? I think Dean Langard and Jesse Lakega will probably have to make their teams on special teams. If they're going to get on the active roster early, they're probably more likely to be practice roster guys in year one. But John Mechie, we talked about it. He's going to be a major impact performer this upcoming season for the Houston Texans, who have almost nobody in that receiving core. Uh, they have Brandon Cooks, who was uh, their big-time big target last season. But other than that, John Mechie the third becomes instantly their number two target. He can play in the slot. He can play outside. He's going to catch a high volume of passes from Davis Mills. I would not be surprised to see him put up big numbers as a rookie. If you're playing fantasy and you want to pick a Canadian and have a little flavor from north of the border on your team, you got to pick John Mechie the third, man. I mean, he's with a young quarterback in Davis Mills, so he needs to develop a rapport there. But he's going to see a lot of footballs. Brandon Cooks has still been productive getting up there in age. can still take the top off of defense, but Mechie the third, in my mind, and with them taking him in the second round, looks to be the guy in the future there that maybe takes over for Cooks. We'll have to see if they add somebody else down the road. But it's a prime situation for Mechie, the third to flourish. And even though the Houston Texans aren't really <laughs> a juggernaut right now, they're <laughs> trying to get it turned around under Nick Cesario, who was in New England for a long time with Bill Belichick, and he had to deal with the whole Deshaun Watson situation. But now that that cloud of uncertainty has been removed from the Texans and you infuse some new talent into that room, you know, and Mechie could become a leader because of what he's done at Alabama. He's a quiet leader, certainly, but I think that could help get the Texans turned around. To me, the selection of Dean Leonard in Los Angeles is a really intriguing one because they've gone down this road in a way before when they signed Tavon Campbell, the Canadian defensive back out of the University of Regina, who was a fast dude, ran in the four threes, just like Leonard did when he was coming out of school. Now, Campbell originally played in the CFL and then kind of had this winding road to become a veteran in the NFL who's relied upon by the Chargers. But 
They've done it once. So they look at Leonard and think, hey, this kid's from Canada. He played some new sports ball, then obviously played at Old Miss, which certainly helped out his draft status. So that is one that I could see sticking for the longer term. Yes, he's a seventh-round pick, but he's got speed to burn, which means he can run with any receiver in the NFL. He's just got to learn to play at that level in the NFL, that speed, that physicality. Lucetta, to me, felt like a guy that had the potential to fall, and he did. He almost didn't get picked, and I think that's part of the reason why the Ottawa Red Blacks took him with their territorial pick in the second round of the CFL draft. In my mind, I think Lucetta is probably a longer shot to make that Cardinals roster with just how athletic that defense is in Arizona. Yeah, to, to me, I think it's exciting that Mechie went to the Texans, not necessarily because they have the most high-flying offense, but Anthony O'Claire started 13 games for them at tight end this past season. I think it would be great if the Texans had two of their 11 offensive starters being Canadian players. I don't know the last time an NFL team started two Canadians on the offensive side of the ball. It would be lovely to know when that was. Um, but I, I think he's going to have a very bright future. And I agree. Dean Leonard, I mean, the, the man ran 439 at six foot one. If you're over six feet and you've got that kind of speed, then you're, you're going to bounce around the at the very worst case. You're going to bounce around the NFL for two, three years on practice rosters and active rosters as teams look to get you acclimatized. That's the worst case scenario. The best case scenario, of course, is he makes the Chargers roster. And oh, by the way, the Chargers have six Canadians on their roster now, which is unbelievable. Um, again, I, I can't believe we're talking about killing the ratio or cutting the ratio. But, you know, if, if the Chargers want, you know, 10% of their roster to be Canadians and the Texans want more than 10% of their starting offense to be Canadian, I think we should be proud to be Canadian because Canadian football players are awesome. Certainly. I mean, the Los Angeles Chargers are this close to be able, being able to uh, fit the ratio themselves. They could come up here and play in the CFL. They just need to add one more. So they got to find that guy. No kidding. Um, Jesse Lakega is the guy who sort of gets a little bit forgotten about here. And I do want to take some time to speak on him because I think this is a situation where he is an excellent football player, but the things he, he is good at, the, the ways he tends to contribute, just aren't as valuable in the NFL at the level at which he does it. Like he's a tremendous run defender. He's physical at the point of attack, but he doesn't give you much value as a pass rusher. And that's why he falls down here. He's not necessarily a dynamic athlete either. And you wonder how easy it's going to be for him to get on the field on special teams because of that. He falls to the Cardinals, almost goes undrafted. They're going to love him in training camp. Like, dude, he's very personable, uh, by all accounts, a tremendous leader at Penn State. Uh, but this could be a situation where the Ottawa Red Blacks, uh, two years from now, are able to get a blue chip player who can contribute at multiple spots, in my mind, along their defensive line, simply because a damn good football player isn't damn good in the right areas for an NFL team to value him highly. Now, last week, right after we recorded our podcast, the CFL scooped us by dropping nine new rule changes that they're making ahead of the 2022 season. What stands out the most to you guys? 
It has to be the hash marks, man. The fact that there's been so much talk around it. John Hoffnagel was a big proponent of this, the GM and president for the Calgary Stampeders. But I don't think there's been enough talk about the change in the hash marks in terms of it widening the short side of the field, if you can stay with me. That's traditionally been the shortest throw for a lot of these American quarterbacks that come up here and play when they want to rely on because it's not – near as far as what looks like that daunting throw to the wide side of the field under the old construction of the hash marks. And that's typically where you have your best receivers, your vertical threat guys, your guys that play in the boundary slot, like a Brian Burnham, like a Lucky Whitehead, like a Kenny Lawler. Those guys are the guys that play into the short side of the field because it's the shortest throw for the quarterback. Now, the thinking here is, and Huffnagel has talked about this, that instead of playing 11 plus one, and what people mean by that is they feel like the field side receiver, who's the furthest guy out on the line of scrimmage and the field side cornerback, they feel like that's just a one-on-one situation that doesn't really necessarily get utilized a lot and is not brought in actively to the play. So they want that to help create more scoring, but I don't think enough thought has been put into the widening of the short side of the field and how detrimental that could have the potential to be in terms of it being that shorter throw to both your boundary slot back, your boundary wide out, and then whoever else you might have over there. We've seen teams use trips to the boundary side of the field a lot more recently and even leaking your running back out of there in different ways as well. So I think to me, that's the biggest one coming out of this that could change a lot of things, even the kicking game. Now, if you're a field goal kicker, you pretty much just have to hit a straight ball because the hash marks are going to be much closer in line with the uprights. Well, boys, if you want more scoring, helping kickers is a great way to do it. Kicking, and I've run the numbers, Scoring was down in 2021, but if at the end of the day, you consider that the kickers were the worst they'd been in decades, and you take into consideration that Ottawa's offense was offensive, offensive, (laughs) let's just be honest. There's a reason they've changed, I think, 10 of 12 starting players on that unit. Um, If you take that into consideration, the year was actually not really different than than it has been in past years. I think the kicking and Ottawa's offense exacerbated, um, you know, the issues surrounding points in that. That said, I do think the CFL was smart to be proactive here. I do think this change is going to be good. Yes, I think it makes it a little bit tougher to be uh, to 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 produce to the boundary side, but adding more space can also make it tougher to defend the boundary side. I do think that this is going to bring about more balance to both sides of the field. So teams can't just say, hey, we're going to have a stud boundary corner and a stud boundary halfback and throw a couple of rookies who are making league minimum on the other side. Good luck trying to throw to that, you know, massive gaping, you know, hundred mile wide part of the field. I think this is going to bring balance. I think this is going to bring openness to the game. And I do think it's going to bring more big plays. Um, I could be wrong. We don't know what the changes are yet, but that's what I suspect. I I like all the changes. Um, The other change I particularly like, I want to highlight two quarterbacks on the field at the same time. It's ridiculous to me that in past years, you know, if if you want Chris Streveler, let's say, to come in as a running back behind Zach Kolaris, that Winnipeg couldn't do that. With all the athletic quarterbacks we've got now, 
Edmonton's obviously got a ton of them. They signed a few really athletic Americans. They just drafted Trey Ford. Uh, you've got uh, all kinds of weapons. Caleb Evans, even Ottawa. I think he should still be involved in Ottawa's offense, even though he's not going to be the starter. Two quarterbacks on the field at the same time. Yes, please. I'm excited about that. I hope teams use that new rule to their advantage. Frankly, every bloody game, because I think that has tremendous potential to add excitement and entertaining to the CFL game. It'll be interesting to see how that affects the way that Edmonton uses Trey Ford this upcoming season, circling back to our CFL draft conversation. If he's not in the NFL. If he's not in the NFL, dunk. Okay. But uh, the other rule that I want to highlight is the changes to the kicking game in terms of the no yards penalties and how they're now going to be 15 yards, regardless of whether the ball is on the ground or caught in the air. And I didn't give this too much thought, but I think our contributor, Joel Gasson, had a fantastic article this week in which he discussed the potential for this change to affect the kicking game negatively in the sense that it takes away any incentive for returners to catch the ball on the fly now they can safely wait for any punt that's not perfectly to them to hit the ground bounce and then pick it up once it's stopped which very few good returns end up starting that way but now there's an incentive for them to slow down the return game in order to draw a penalty i'm not sure that's going to positively affect the game in the way the cfl was hoping it would in my mind, I don't understand having 15 yards for no yards every single time. Like if there's a bouncing ball or a windy game and that football hits the ground, bounces back towards the cover team and they get a 15 yard penalty for that versus you could take a run and a headshot at any quarterback in the league. And that's only a 15 yard penalty. To me, that doesn't make sense. I understand that they're trying to tilt the field for the offense, and that's why they've changed the starting positions in terms of what happens after field goals and touchdowns and various scoring plays now. But I just can't comprehend how they could sit in the rules meeting and say, yeah, every no yards penalty should be 15 yards, the same type of infraction that you would get if you took a cheap shot on a quarterback or any other player on the field. Like that to me in and of itself just doesn't make sense. If you're going to make no yards, 15 yards every single time, then you need to at least take up that cheap shot or unnecessary roughness penalty. A lot of times is what it ends up being called. So in my mind, I don't quite understand. I think honestly, some guys are going to get cut because of this rule, just trying to retreat from a football. We know how windy it gets in some of the stadiums. I've been at Hamilton a number of times it's important to be able to get super windy. You're going to have guys retreating from the football. The returner is going to come up and grab it on the bounce. And a guy's going to get cut just because of the wind or an unfortunate bounce. Like, I really don't like that rule. And I would like to hear the justification for it. I, I love the rule. No, I like the rule. First of all, if somebody cuts somebody because it's windy, that's on the coach or personnel person, not on the player. But I love this rule because to me, I've always thought if I was a special teams coach, if the ball hits the ground on a punt, I would coach them. I want you to stand so close to the returner without actually touching him that you can smell his cologne. I want you to be literally an inch away from that guy so that when he touches the ball, you can tackle him. You take the five-yard penalty. Why? Because I would happily take the five-yard penalty and not run the risk of giving up a big return, right? The CFL has some electric returners. 
don't give him an inch. So I think instituting a mandatory 15-yard penalty, which, by the way, is what it used to be a long time ago, I think it's. I think it makes perfect sense. I think we're going to get more big returns. And and yes, I was in the media availability when Mike O'Shea was asked about it, and he said, "Yeah, guess what? The ball's going to bounce backwards sometimes." And that I'm paraphrasing, of course, but he said, "Yeah, and that's going to suck." But at the end of the day, this rule is going to have more big returns. So I like it. I like it. All right, I'll roll with O'Shea then. Calgary St. Peter's president and GM John Huffnagel admitted he voted to explore four downs, but claimed the situation was misconstrued. What do we make of all of this? Well, I, I think I think Huffnagel's qualm with the reporting on this issue was, you know, it, it was it was reported as, oh, this was a vote to go to four downs, and his issue was, well, it, in his mind, it was in a it was a vote to continue exploring four downs, which I think is a meaningful distinction. But at the end of the day, the reality is, is obviously Jeff John Huffnagel at the very least um, has some desire for the CFL to go to four downs and at most really wants the CFL to go to four downs. Um, I'll give Huffnagel credit for actually addressing the question, doing a good job of answering it. I want to give JC credit for asking it and being the only person to write on this issue that I'm aware of. Because uh, it's a huge story, and, and thirdly, I'll say this: I am appreciative that there was clarity on this issue publicly. Because at the end of the day, if somebody wants somebody with who is a team president wants to change the CFL to such a drastic extent, I think their name or at least their organization, like it is in the NFL, should be publicly attached to it. There is no transparency whatsoever from the CFL regarding these types of changes. And it's not fair to have no transparency whatsoever and then later complain if the reporting isn't worded 100% the way that you wanted it to, right? If you want to be, if you want the media to get it 100% correct, you're going to have to provide some layer of transparency. So I'm thankful that we have that now. I'm thankful that the air is cleared. And though I don't agree with John Huffnagel, I do respect his opinion. I want to give credit where credit is due. I wrote the article on this topic, but the question was actually asked by our three down colleague, Ryan Ballantyne, who stuck his neck out there on my behalf to ask that question. So kudos to Ryan. And I think you make a valid point here. Uh, John Huffnagel should be applauded for at least taking responsibility for his actions uh, in in this vote and and standing proud in in front of the media, uh, not deflecting or avoiding this question. Uh, but when he says it's misconstrued, you're right. There's a, a important distinction between what the point of the vote is. But I'm not sure had the vote been to officially change it to four downs, if Huffnagel's ballot would have been any different. I think this is something he was in favor of for a variety of reasons, uh, potentially to open up the offense with more play action passing. I think he was clearly one of the voices in favor of having this conversation. And so it's a little bit disingenuous on his behalf to nitpick in terms of how it was phrased in the reporting. One of the key factors in all this that should be known is what Huffnagel says a lot of times in these meetings ends up becoming gospel hash marks. For example, they made that change. And Randy Ambrosi and a lot of other people throughout the league really respect Huffnagel, as they should, for what he's done and what's on his resume. But that's the important critical aspect of this, is that if Huffnagel 
was at least voting to explore it more. I think JC, you know, we're trying to read the tea leaves a little bit here, but you're probably right in the fact that Huffnagel might have voted and we're just guessing at this, but there's a decent chance he would have voted for four downs to go ahead and be played in the CFL. So the fact that it was Huffnagel and he owned up to it, we definitely have to respect. And you guys have both touched on that. I think that is a great aspect. There are lots of people behind the scenes and in particular a handful right now that are trying to make major changes within the collective bargaining agreement that if their names came out and perhaps they will one day would not be happy about it, but they need to be held accountable for what they do just like everybody else. So we hear it from people all the time. If they want to have what is put out properly or we put something out and they don't feel like it's been done in 100% the way that they want it. That's what we're here for. We are the intermediaries, right? We present the facts of the situation to the best of our ability. Nobody's ever going to agree and see it exactly the same way, especially the people that are directly involved in this. And this is exactly what's happened with Huffnagel in this way. And at least he's explained it. I just hope that there is more transparency in terms of what is going on behind the scenes in this CFL and people owning up to it. Because it's one thing to try and make these major changes and do it quietly behind the scenes. But if some of the stuff that's trying to be pushed right now in terms of the CBA negotiations ever gets out, and perhaps it does on the three down nation, there are going to have to be some people answering some questions that some people in the league would be surprised about. So full marks to Huffnagel for standing up and owning his vote and taking us a little bit into the meetings and explaining what it actually meant. But I just really think that we got to remember, even though some people think four downs will never come to the CFL, if Huffnagel's pushing it and Ambrosi's still the commissioner and there are still the people behind the scenes that respect Huffnagel's opinion, that in my mind, it's not going away just yet. And before we move on, I, I will also say I do appreciate that Huffnagel at least has had a successful coaching career in both leagues and played in both leagues. I've grown really tired uh, from people who uh, uh, don't follow both leagues, haven't played in either league, haven't coached in either league, haven't covered either league, just throwing four downs out there like, well, this will fix the CFL. Well, why would it fix the CFL? Uh, I don't know. I just have this like vague gut feeling that it kind of might <laughs> fix it. I've grown really tired of that. So at least John Huffnagel has the credibility of, again, successfully coaching in both leagues, playing in both leagues, and having a, an excellent career, undeniably fantastic career in professional football. The CFL Players Association tabulated an overwhelming 95% strike vote while the collective bargaining agreement deadline nears. I believe that's May 14th. Could there be a delay to training camps opening? I don't think there will be, but you can never say never in the CFL because we all know how contentious these CBA negotiations tend to be. And while they entered this process with all these you know, happy comments about the new transparency between the players in the league and the relationship <laughs> has never been better. They haven't been saying a lot of happy things recently as these negotiations sort of buckle down and get to the nitty gritty aspects of it. So this vote is not a reason to panic, right? The union had to do this in order to meet the requirements of labor laws in various provinces so they could strike 
in the event that they can't get an agreement done. Uh, it's not a reason to panic, but I do think striking is on the table if these two sides cannot see eye to eye on some of the important issues, including the ratio and uh, financial uh, compensation. The strike vote is something that is part of a CBA process, but it's also a negotiation tactic. And we obtained the memo sent from the CFLPA to its union membership. And it stated that its membership has voted to strike if there is not a fair agreement reached with the league. Now, one of the things that the CFLPA wants is more guaranteed money and contracts. And we're seeing that a lot in the NFL, but the CFLPA has been asking to be partners for years. And it's funny to hear Randy Ambrosi publicly talk about, yeah, we want to bring the players and we want to be partners with them. Well, partners means sharing in the revenue equally. And it's not even close in the CFL when you compare it to the other leagues, the major pro North American sports leagues, the MLB, NFL, NBA, and NHL are all in and around 50%. The CFL PA gets way less than that. It's probably like 30% of the revenue. It might even be less. So they're looking for a bump up there in the form of guaranteed money. And it never really matters. JC, you mentioned this. They were talking about how they were singing Kumbaya in a circle and everything <laughs> was great. But when you get to the deadline, that's what drives deals. And also that's when you talk about the big, difficult topics, money being the main one, really. There's going to be talk about, obviously, naturalized Canadians and the ratio, but let's be honest, it's all about the money. So that's going to be the driving factor here. The interesting tidbit to me is that Randy Ambrosi hasn't been necessarily heavily involved in the negotiations. He's surely been kept abreast. But from what I've been told, it's largely been Scott Mitchell, who is essentially the CEO of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and Wade Miller, the president of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, being, let's call them the lead negotiators for the player, or sorry, for the league side with the players. Uh, And I, I just want to touch on JC's comments. Ambrosi did the interview on TSN yesterday before the draft and Rob Van Stone, excellent columnist for the general leader post posted on Twitter, what he called the Randy Ambrosiometer, uh, which calculated (laughs) that Ambrosi said the word positive twice, excited twice and optimistic once, which I thought was great. I know some people have joked about the words that I often use on this podcast. And I think that we should make the Randy Ambrosiometer a thing. Um, At the end of the day, we are still 10 days out from the expiry of this CBA, which might sound like a short period of time, but this is also a league that has played portions of a regular season with no CBA. Uh, So I don't think it's time to panic yet, but a week from now, hopefully we're down to the nitty gritty as far as these negotiations are concerned. It's now time for Hodges Heritage Moment today, boys. And this one is oddly self-congratulatory, but I think this is an anniversary worth mentioning. On this day in 2015, Drew Edwards of the Hamilton Spectator launched a new website called Three Down Nation. Hey, that's us. By the way, it's not Third Down Nation and it's not Three Space (laughs) Down Space Nation. It's Three Down Nation. Just wanted to get that on the record. The site was dedicated to providing a one-stop shop for CFL fans to read news, insight, and analysis about the league on a daily basis. The property has since changed hands to a bunch of hacks and degenerates, but we remain a popular place 
for all things Canadian football. And we want to say a big thank you to all of our listeners and readers for all of their support over the last seven years. I've been with Three Down Nation literally since day one. I can't believe it's been seven years. I'm looking forward to the next seven. You're no G, bud, but who are the hacks? Uh, well, it's not me or JC. <laughs> Yikes. All right, I'll take the bullet for the boys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's now time for the three-minute drill. Here we go. The Winnipeg, Blue, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers unveiled all blue alternate uniforms to be worn twice during the 2022 season. Do you approve, Mr. Hodge? I'm not. A, I'm never a fan of big logos on the front of football jerseys, but I, I think overall the look is good. The Montreal Alouettes have new luck helmets for the 2020 season. A bird-shaped logo is on both sides of the helmet instead of on the top. Do they look fresh? The casques sont belles. That sound you hear is all my uh, high school French teachers gasping in horror. Hey, if, if you thought that was bad, you should have heard you guys say Mark Ben M.E. Instead of <laughs> Ben M. It's Ben M, boys. It's Ben M. <laughs> but I think these helmets uh, are, are clean looking. I like this sort of matte finish that they have. Former NFL running back Ruben Mays will be inducted in the Saskatchewan Sports Hall of Fame. Is that long overdue? Way long overdue. His NFL career, which was a pretty darn good one, ended a long time ago. Come on, Sasky, get with it. The Rough Riders are in ongoing discussions with former Ohio State running back Mike Weber. Could he be in the green and white for training camp? It's possible, but I, I honestly like some of the guys they've brought in since. Plus, I, I also like uh, Jamal Morrow, who finished the season that last year. Prior to the CFL draft, top running back prospect Adam Ackert out of the University of Saskatchewan retired from football. How surprising was this decision? It was an absolute bombshell right on the eve of the draft. Now, there's some people who will tell you Adam Ackert is too small to play in the CFL. I think that is bull bucky. He is a fantastic running back, great contact balance for his size. The league is lesser for the fact that he is retired. Nine participants have been selected for the CFL's inaugural Women in Football Internship Program, including our own three-down contributor, Amanda Ruler. Let's see what she can do. She keeps rising and proving all the haters wrong. Nine people have been selected for the CFL's new officiating academy, including former CFL former Raleigh Lumbala. Would you argue a call with him? <laughs> There's no chance I would argue a call that Raleigh Lumbala made. Absolutely not. Never. He is, he is a high school ref for uh, in, the, in the league that I play in. I've had him on my sideline. Do not mess with Raleigh Lumbala. Never. Chris Jones admitted Alex Singleton would have been an outstanding pick at number one overall for the Riders in the 2016 CFL draft. At least that was honest, right? Yeah, now what does he think about Josiah St. John? Ah. Chris Jones released former NFL receiver Martavis Bryant, who has signed two CFL contracts and never come to training camp in Canada. What a waste of time. And a waste of paper, man. Think of the trees. Come on now, Martavis. The Atlanta Falcons cut former CFL defensive end James Vodders after the NFL draft. Could Vodders make his way back to Canada? I believe he just turned 28, so he's kind of getting to that point where he might be done floating around the NFL. He would be a nice addition for any CFL team who can get him under contract. Last one, longtime NFL running back Marshawn Lynch visited the Toronto Argonauts on CFL draft day and wore a double blue team parka. 
Can you imagine Beast Mode playing for the Argos? That would be insane. That would be like Ricky Williams playing for the Argos. Oh, wait, that happened. <laughs> Beast Mode likes taking his brand worldwide, so maybe one day. I wonder, we should get the Argos' latest neg list and see if Marshawn Lynch has been added. What do you think, fellas? It's a good idea. I think that's a good idea. <laughs> All right, Beast Mode wraps. So that's it for the Three Down Nation podcast this week. Be sure to tune in again next week. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.